0: Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting?
1: We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson.
0: I'm Danielle DiLorenzo.
2: And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. I am super excited to get into today's topic because I think assessments, assessments are something that come up time and time again. And especially in the area of early intervention, I think a lot of people don't know what type of assessments we do and really what the assessment process looks like. So let's just dive on in but first a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Marvelous Miracles OT, a platform created to empower and equip families and therapists with the tools and resources to help little miracles fulfill big dreams. So
2: let's just start by unpacking some of the assessments that we are familiar with and that we use in our early intervention practice. So to kick it off, Amira, what
1: assessments do you use? So, we use the developmental assessment of young children, also called the DACE. Now, it's interesting because this is one of the only assessments I think that I didn't actually learn in school, but thankfully it was pretty simple to learn on the job. So, I was just trained by another OT. She kind of went through it with me. I shadowed a few evaluations and it was all good to go. So, it is an assessment tool that measures development across five domains. So, we look at cognitive skills and that just means learning, play skills, problem solving, thinking and reasoning. We look at physical development, so gross motor and fine motor, so of course big and small movements. We look at communication, so receptive and expressive language, so how kiddos are able to convey their wants and needs either through talking, pointing, gesturing, and then also understanding language. We also look at social emotional skills, just how they're interacting with others, play skills, their emotional regulation, social participation. And the last area we look at is adaptive behavior. And that one is just participating in daily routines, So dressing, feeding, toileting, all of those kinds of things. So we look at those five main areas in that assessment tool.
2: Speaking of the Dacey, I actually use some of that. I don't use the full Dacey, but I use a portion of the Dacey along with the Bailey. So of the Dacey, I use the adaptive behavior and the social emotional subtests. But then I actually pair... For the rest of the developmental assessment that I do, I pair it with the Bailey, and that's where I'm looking at the cognitive function, the receptive and expressive language, the fine motor, and the gross motor. So it's interesting that we both use the DACE, but that I also pair it with the Bailey as well. Danielle, what about you? What assessments do you use and have you used in the past in early intervention?
0: I am certified to use the Patel Developmental Inventory, also known as the BDI, which is a play-based assessment that takes a look at all areas of development. And that was our main assessment tool that I used when I practiced in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I also, when I want to get a more in-depth view of fine motor skills or sensory processing, or the evaluation was paired with an OT assessment in addition to the overall developmental assessment. I used the Peabody Developmental Motor Scales, also known as the PDMS-2, or I'd use the sensory profile or the sensory processing measure. Additionally, when a child did not demonstrate a qualifying score for early intervention. I was able to use informed clinical opinion where the PDMS and the SPM was used as a complementary support as to why I felt this child needed to qualify for early intervention services.
2: So I think there's something really interesting that we should probably hash out for a second, because being an OT working in early intervention can be very different than being an OT, say, working in a pediatric clinic or in a a school or something like that, where it sounds like, and and I know every location, every state can be slightly different in the terms of the assessments that they use, how they qualify kiddos and all this kind of stuff. But it sounds like all three of us tend to do more global developmental assessments and not typically or not generally only OT assessments. And I think a lot of times I know when my field work students come to me, they're like, okay, I'm ready to do my fine motor. And that's all they're going to look at. And I'm like, no, we are looking at everything. I think it might be important to have a really short conversation about the why and what behind the developmental assessment and kind of what that means to us.
1: Yes. So I think it goes back to function. So looking at how kiddos are performing throughout their day and their daily routines and what is impacting that function. So of course we have all of these different areas. So is it cognitively they're having trouble understanding something? Is it their communication that's delayed? Is it physically? So in our program, we're looking at these areas, but then we're also talking about what does your day just look like? You know, how is feeding time? How is sleeping? How is bath time? And if they're having difficulty in one or more of those areas, then we can use that assessment tool whatever that may be, to try and find out what that area is specifically impacting as it relates to their function.
0: Yeah, I really like what you said about that, because a lot of the times people think you're an OT, you're just there to look at fine motor, but there is so much more that we are taking a look at. We are determining where this child is at in all areas of development across this very large scale. Now, when I was in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, we did team evaluations. so based Based on when the intake referral was completed, if there were motor concerns, it would a teacher or a nurse would be paired with an OT or a PT, or a speech would be paired with an OT or a PT. Because it's always someone that's going to take a look at the cognitive and the speech. And then we're taking a look at that motor component, the adaptive skills. And together we're taking a look at social emotional, but we're also still conversing and discussing all areas together. So I think when you become an assessor in early intervention, it really strengthens your skills as a developmental clinician. And that is a different hat to wear than just an occupational therapist. So it's almost like you're using your OT lens to provide this overall developmental assessment. And it really makes you think like Amir, what you were saying, going back to function, what is the areas that this child is having that need, they need additional support in to help them function at an age appropriate level or be as independent as possible in their activities of daily living. And we all know that the main occupation of a child is to play. So we're doing Doing all of this through play-based assessment.
1: I kind of wanted to talk about this too, because Danielle, you just talked about the initial intake. So what happens is our service coordinators, they meet initially with the family. Of course, right now it's virtual, but they meet with the family and they do the ASQ. So the ages and stages questionnaire. So depending on how the child scores on that ASQ. So if they score low in social, emotional and communication, they might send out the speech therapist and the developmental specialist, or if they score low in, fine motor and gross motor, they might send out the PT and the OT. So it depends on what they score on that ASQ to determine which two of us off of the team are going to go to do the evaluation.
0: And it's also something when, let's say the initial intake had speech concerns and motor concern and a speech pathologist goes out and a PT goes out and they're like, I see some sensory concerns as well. What they will do is they will then immediately schedule me to go out and do an OT assessment. And then I also become a part of the initial evaluation team. And I attend that initial IFSP to review my additional aspect of the report. So what my schedule looked like was four days a week, I would be doing developmental assessments with a team. And then one day I'd be doing OT assessments. Sometimes there would even be three assessors just to really get this real really good overall picture, which is very, very different than what happens in California.
2: Yeah. In my experience, I typically am the only assessor that is going in and Again, pre COVID time, it would have been me and the service coordinator going in. The service coordinator is getting all the information. They're getting all the doctors, any other specialists, like they're kind of getting all that background information, all the really, really important information from the family. And then I'm coming in and running the assessment portion of it and getting the scores and delivering the scores and talking about the recommendations and services and all of that with the family. And This is like what I love having these conversations. And I really want to hear what other people have to say too, because I've never had to do an assessment with another professional before, and I can see how beneficial that would be. And so it's really cool to hear both of your experiences going through that. But there's something that I wanted to bring up about when you go to do an initial assessment on a kiddo. And I know for me, my assessment starts the second that I lay eyes on the kid. We might not like when we were still in person, I might've met them like at the facility or at the center. And I'd be like paying attention of like, which one of these kids in this room could be mine that I'm going to be assessing. And I would be watching them. If I'm going to their house, the second that I'm walking in the door and I'm laying eyes on that kid, I'm starting to watch them. And now even virtually, you can kind of do the same thing because I think assessing them during that kind of unstructured time when they don't know that they're necessarily being watched, you can get a lot of really, really good information to guide your assessment at that part. Is there anything about your assessment process that you do that really stands out that either
1: guides where you go or gives you some really kind of pertinent information? For me, it's talking to the parents or caregiver. So finding out, what does your typical day look like? How is the kiddo participating throughout the day? What kinds of things do you guys do together? What kinds of things does the kiddo like to do? So I kind of find myself having that conversation first, but I'm a great multitasker because I'm also looking at the kiddo playing or maybe not playing, right? Maybe they're not playing. Maybe they're just kind of sitting there and kind of chilling out and looking at me or, you know, I look to see, are they coming up to me to interact? Are they interacting with a sibling? How are they around, you know, non-familiar your people. So I feel like I'm naturally a very observant person, but I do establish that connection and rapport with the parents first, really before I go over to the kiddo, before I get down on the floor with them, I really want to connect with the parent first.
0: I really like what you said there. And the luxury of having two people is we would decide who's going to start talking to the parent and who's going to lean in and just start playing with the child. And I think it's fair enough to say that more often than not, they're are going to be times that the kiddos aren't going to do what you would like them to do. So don't think of it as like, stack these six blocks right now, sweetie, go ahead and show me this pincer grass, right? So it's not as systematic as you would think an assessment would be, which it can be challenging for new grads because you're so used to just kind of like when you're not familiar with an assessment. So one of the things that I did initially when I became an assessor Many moons ago, I became very familiar with the assessment protocols and what each item was looking for. And then what I did was I made sure to tell the family, "Hey, do you have like an open cup or a snack, or just make sure you have some things ready because you're you might not be able to utilize your testing kit." Not. Every kid is going to sit down for you and do what you need them to do. That's why you're in the home in the first place. It's almost like when you get a kid that does everything for you, it's one of those times where you're like, this is great. This kiddo is cool. There's nothing wrong. Like everything is fine. And I want everyone to be mindful that when you become an early intervention assessor, you need to think outside the box and maybe they're not going to stack your six inch cubes, but if they're going to stack their wooden blocks and they're doing that, you're looking at the task. You're looking at their ability. You're looking at their grasping patterns. You're looking at, like you were saying, Amir, I love it. Are they coming up to you? How is their demeanor? Like you can assess so much in all areas of development just by watching them play with their own toys And being mindful, not trying to force the assessment protocols on the child that by naturally you were going to find a flow where you're going to be able to assess in all areas that you're trying to do to the best of your ability. And if you can't, that's why you're there because you're most likely going to recommend or they're most likely going to qualify for services.
1: One of the questions that I know I've gotten asked quite a few times is what's the youngest that we've evaluated? So birth to three, sometimes birth to five is what early intervention is. And it truly is birth. Some of the kids that we get have like just been born <laughs> only a couple of weeks old. I think my youngest has been about two and a half to three weeks old. But it was interesting because they had just been discharged from the NICU and they were born a couple of months premature. So when we did the DACE, we're evaluating them. At like negative <laughs> like you know what i mean so we're you were looking at the the age difference um so it's just it's just interesting that the different age ranges that we can get and how young they are and how different those evaluations look right so like with that one i think i literally just like held the baby for most of it and like talked to mom and you know tried to find out what was going on at home and that kind of thing of course we're going to see the baby later on the floor doing tummy time that kind of thing but i held the baby for a lot of that evaluation and it was so much just kind of talking to the parents to find out well what's what's going well what's going what's little bit more difficult. Like, you know, so those evaluations always look a little bit different depending on what age. So I'm curious, Danielle, what's the youngest that you evaluated? 10 days old,
0: teeny, teeny, 10 days old preemie. And I did the same thing. I just held the baby and talked to the family and tried to reassure and empower that mama. And it's very important to know that that's okay. You're going to get very, very teeny tiny babies. And you can just hold them and get used to holding little teeny tiny babies. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I got to experience before having a little teeny tiny baby of my own. (laughs) What about you, Sarah? So
2: I have to agree with what Amira said. And the one that stands out to me, and I know I've gone earlier than this, but maybe it was the first time that it happened that I evaluated a little kiddo that was premature. And when I was like calculating the age, I'm like negative one. Hmm. All right. We're we're in the negatives for this one. And I I do think that was the first time it happened. And now it's happened so many times since then. But I love that you brought up how different the different ages, the, the assessments of the different ages can look like. And Specifically when they're really young, we're not expecting them to be able to do a lot. And we're expecting to get a lot of the information from the parent or the caregiver. But I have had older kids that I walk into the room or they walk into the room that I'm in and they don't even want to look at me. And like, I have this one kiddo and I want to say that she was probably two years-ish when she came in for her assessment and did not look at all at me for the first 45 minutes to an hour which typically I'm done with my assessment within that time period. She had her head buried in the mom's chest and like no no eye contact didn't want to do anything and it took a really long time but finally I was able to connect with her and then I thought I had to get all my information from mom and then by that like 45 minute marker she like looked at me and she started showing an interest in the toys and then she started to engage and I was able to do my assessment. So I think it's really just kind of keeping this open mind of we are working working with so many different kiddos that have different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses they potentially might need help in. And really, depending on the age, it can look very, very different of what we're actually able to accomplish in the assessments. But it really is just to focus on the strength-based approach and figure out where some of the problems might be arising and figuring out where we best can help or also being able to then make referrals to physical therapy or speech language pathology, infant stimulation, or any of the other services that they might be eligible to receive within early intervention. So today we talked about some of the assessments that we're familiar with and that we have used in our practice, but we want to know what assessments have you used in your early intervention settings before. So you can chime in and let us know at our website, therealots.com, or you can message us on Instagram at OTs of EI. We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com for more information about anything discussed in the episode and sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources.
1: And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention.
0: Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the Real OTs of Early Intervention.